Hey friends, welcome back to your favorite homeschool podcast. You're listening to season two of the Friends of Cabrini podcast. Go ahead right now and subscribe on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And make sure you go tell a friend. Hey friends, welcome back to the Friends of Cabrini podcast. You're now listening to a new episode of season two. We have a wonderful homeschool guest on. Her name is Mrs. Angela Thomas, and she is a native of Michigan. However, she is a current resident in the Virginia area. Welcome to our show. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So I know that you have a background working with children with special needs. Can you share with us, um, how did you get started in the homeschool space and what brought you to space of education as a whole? Sure. Um, So I got my master's of special education um, here in the DMV area, George Washington University, Um, because I wanted to become an educator. At the time, my daughter was toddler age, I believe when I got my degree. And so I was a secondary um, special needs teacher in Fairfax County. And so as my daughter got into like kindergarten, first grade, I noticed that she had some tendencies of not being able to really sit still, the inability to, I guess, learn the way other kids learn in terms of consistency and just like that standardization of like, everybody sit here, everybody do this. And so by the time she was like first and second grade, there started to be issues in the classroom in terms of like, you know, she asked a lot of questions and then there was a lot of movement. And although I would try to give tips to her educators about what would be the best way to teach her. Um, unfortunately, there was always a lot of responses of, well, I have 25 kids in the class and, you know, I can't, you know, attend to her specifically. And, you know, I am of the, the thought of good teaching is good teaching. Every child should have diversified, individualized learning and teaching. And as an educator, I've been able to produce that. So it was like, okay, if you can't do it, then maybe I need to do it myself. But unfortunately, teaching public school and then also trying to do that homeschooling for my child just wasn't going to be a mesh. So I gave up doing public school teaching so I could homeschool my daughter. Awesome. How long were you teaching in public ed? Um, about five years. So from 2017 up until right before the pandemic, right around the pandemic. Cool. So, you know, we hear that term special needs or diverse learner kind of used about in different scenarios. Um, there may be some parents that may not know exactly what would constitute a child as being a child that is a diverse learner or a child with special needs what are some things that you think parents could either look for or you know just what are some things that you can probably highlight to kind of let parents know maybe your child might fall under that classification 
Sure. So my expertise is really in behavioral special needs. However, you know, if you feel like there's intellectual um, issues as well, cognitive issues, um, you don't feel like they're learning or catching ideals or principles for the age range in which they are in, then you can always do self-testing yourself, you know, find an educational center to get testing just so you can be aware of where they are. Um, I am a big proponent of being proactive and not letting, you know, a school or a system kind of guide you on what you should be doing, but use your own intuition as a parent. Um, Because I know a lot of times as parents, especially like if it's your first child, you know, everything worries you, you know, are they reading on time? You know, it's always a comparison, right? Like, who am I comparing my child to? And so I wouldn't say try to compare your child to anybody, just as you are going through the process of learning letters and putting words together and comprehension. If you feel like there's some challenges, you know, have a conversation with your pediatrician. Um, They can also give recommendations as well. The primary area of my expertise is really behavioral. And so basically children where you feel like they're normally classified, unfortunately, as um, fidgety and they can't pay attention or their attention is diverted. They're asking off the wall questions. They're not off the wall questions. They're questions that they're trying to connect dots to. Um, and so if you feel like that's kind of feedback you're getting or you feel like your child likes to run around um, and play, you know, there's other types of learning that people try to do, play learning, things of that nature. So you're not making your child feel restricted. And then it becomes um, a behavioral issue. There's crying, there's temper tantrums, there's a lot of frustration happening. And so those are things that I come up with ways and how to handle um, to prevent your child from going into that direction because learning should be fun and resourceful and it shouldn't be, you know, a complaint, a problem, or stressful for anybody. So. I agree with you. It should be fun. Um, I believe in that. I think all kids should be able to experience the joy of learning without actually knowing that they're really learning, you know. Um, I think it's unique when they're able to pick up on different things and didn't even realize it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned um, something that I thought was kind of interesting, and that's about the testing piece. And I know a lot of times different public school districts, they do offer testing. And like you said, with some parents, you can kind of be a little anxious, especially if it's your first child or if it's your Um, first time going through this process with with a child, with your child, Um, how can a parent possibly prevent the school from taking the lead on trying to label children? Because sometimes I think there may be situations where parents may be aware of something and then there's cases where parents really are not aware of what's happening with their child, but they kind of don't want to feel like there's that stigma of their child being labeled um, and where they're not able to learn, you know, with other children, as you said, kind of like the comparison to the other kids. 
So what are some things that you think they can possibly do to maybe prevent those things from happening beforehand with the testing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's great. Um, because I was in that exact same situation when my daughter was like in preschool. That was the first time someone tried to bring in like a psychologist. And I was like, okay, this is like a little concerning um, because I didn't want her to be labeled. At the time, she was in a private school. And so we declined it. Um, but over the next year or so, I think I paid a lot more attention to some of the elements in which they were referring to in terms of her fidgetiness, in terms of, you know, she wants to get up in the middle of someone talking and kind of walk away. She loses interest very easily. And so what I decided to do was find an education center. Um, there was actually one that I went to in Old Town, Alexandria, and had her get tested. And it, it, the results were good. I think cognitively, she was where we expected, but the feedback surrounding how long it took for her to complete the testing, um, how the questions had to be framed and asked, that was good feedback. And so, although we didn't have any concerns with the results from a cognitive ability, um, her being on par with her grade level, her age range, it was behaviorally, well, how do we support her learning? Because now I need to help advise her teachers, you know, of what to do. So I would recommend people, you can either ask your pediatrician for a recommendation for a psychologist or educational center, or honestly, like I Googled, I just Googled educational testing in my area and I found a couple people, I looked on their website um, that I felt comfortable with and it was a one-on-one -on -one testing. It was not in like a sit down at the table testing. It's almost like she was having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a person and, mm -hmm. you know, she took a lot of breaks. You know, whenever she started feeling angsty and like what is happening, because at the time she was like five or six years old when we did this testing. And so, but the, the testing person was very kind, very sensitive. So she took as many breaks as she needed to get through the, the situation. And then, you know, there wasn't a problem after that. So. Okay, nice. So I'm sure you guys have had a whole lot of progress um, over the years now since you have decided to homeschool. What are some joys? What are some things that you enjoy about homeschooling your daughter now? Well, one of the greatest things that I love is the patient. So coming from being a public school educator, you know, the the county wants you, they give you a pacing guide at the beginning of the year, and they're like, this is the content you need to get through A through Z in this amount of time. And there's not a lot of room for delay. And so even if a kid isn't all the way processing the information, unfortunately, you have to keep moving. In homeschooling, it's not that. You know, today, like right now, my daughter is technically, I guess, quote unquote, in the fifth grade. But for math, 
I really think math is an area of you need to process it in a way that really sinks in. So we do all levels of math. I do reinforcement that might be considered third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. Like we do everything and we do it in different ways. Not, I don't like the traditional rote memorization of math. Um, and so we do a lot of reinforcement of math in different ways. And I don't feel pressured to be like, my child has to be on geometry by X amount of time. That is like the greatest gift. And it, my daughter is also, she has elements of perfectionism in her spirit. And so sometimes it stresses her because she wants to be great. And I, in that unpacing life has really helped her calm down. Like, it's okay, we can chunk it. We can take a little bit at a time, and it's going to be all right. If you don't do great, you know, when we get to an assessment area, don't worry about it. We can redo it. We can relook at it. We can do another activity. We can play a game. We can do whatever. So I love just taking that lid off of pacing and just making your child go through steps when you don't have to do that anymore. I like that, too, and I like that you mentioned that because I feel like you are affirming her, you know, you're letting her know that it's okay. It's okay, right? To, to just take your time. And that's wonderful. I also like how you mentioned you do math very differently because math is one of those subjects where I think people feel like it has to be a certain way. But I like to tell folks, particularly parents with children that I'm tutoring, I like to tell them like, when you're working with your child, you want to let them know that there's a variety of ways that they can get the answer because there's a variety of different strategies that you can use. But they should use the one that they feel the best comfortable with, you know? So I, I like I like that as well. And I think it is good to teach a variety of different levels and not necessarily sticking with the one level because those standards um, those math standards, right, that are given in, in different states, they kind of intersect, they interconnect, right, with yep. one another. Okay. So whatever you're, you might teach your third grader, you know, or if your child was in the third grade, those skills of multiplication and division, they're still there and they reflect over for fifth and sixth grade math, especially if you're doing, like you said, geometry area, all of those things, those skills are still there because those are the basic skills that um, would be needed for, for those higher levels of math as you get older, as, as they get older, <laughs> as they age. So I think that that is wonderful that you mentioned that. And a lot of people don't really understand how those things um, intersect as well. So you have shared quite a little bit. And I know that you said you guys are in Alexandria. You're in the Virginia area. Um, question about, my question is about if the rules and regulations and procedures of homeschooling is different, uh, for you because your daughter has a particular type of learning style or do you follow whatever the general state standards are? So I follow the general state standard because I find Virginia to be quite flexible. 
um, you know, I submit my documentation through the county because the county requested um, and then they submit it through the state. And so the county of Fairfax is asking for to show development and growth basically in reading, math, um, science, and like a little bit of social studies. So it's like some basic areas. There's, um, you have to submit what your teaching plan is going to be for the upcoming year. Um, I do that with a, a program that I purchased, but I do a blended um, concept. So I have a software program that I purchased that helps me with some of the basic curriculum, like math, science, social studies, language arts, grammar stuff. But then I have a whole other curriculum that I create because I feel like learning is more than just those basic things. And so um, I think it's really flexible. So from the base things that the state of Virginia requires, I show that she has um, tested, you know, above her grade level, and I just turn that in. That doesn't really require us to do anything different than the way that we already teach her at home. So it works out really well. Now, do you, do they, like, do they ask for, do you know if they ask for homeschoolers to do annual testing, just in general? So they do not have to. That's an option that I take because I think it's just easier. You can get, um, like, a license. First of all, I kind of cover both bases. So I am, I have a master's degree in education. So technically, I could do it myself if I wanted to. I could do mm -hmm. her assessment. However, um, you can also do someone else. You can go to a third party and have them give an assessment, write it up, turn it in, or you can take a standardized test that they recommend. So they um, they recommend on their website CAT California Achievement Test, but you can probably use other ones. Um, just because that's the one they recommend, I just use it. I do use others for my personal purposes. Um, because I'm big on also me, like knowing what's working, what's not working with my kids. So I do use other um, platforms um, besides the cat test. Um, but they take that. So every like April or May, I have her take the cat test and then I just submit the results and then that's it. And, it, and it's untimed. So she takes it. I probably, I mean, because my daughter, like I said, she has unique needs. So we probably spent a whole week taking the assessment and then just because I paced it for her um, and then I turn it in. Are you enjoying the podcast? Remember to subscribe to Friends of Cabrini on Spotify. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I know some of the state laws are so different when it comes to how you homeschool or what you're allowed to do and things of that nature. What are some things that you guys have done uh, just for fun, you know, to kind of get outdoors and explore? Yeah, so, so you were talking about math, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things, um, so in Fredericksburg, they actually have like a coin convention um, which is super cool. And so basically we went there one year because you learn all about like 
what was currency like back in the 1800s and looking at different coin collections and um, just conversation. They even have a homeschool um, day during their convention. Um, it normally happens in the fall, um, around like September. And so I highly recommend that as a, like an opportunity to do another way of learning math um, and numbers. And so that was something really excellent. Um, we do a lot of group activities with some other homeschoolers. Like we went to the Amish country last year to learn about another culture. So we drove up to Pennsylvania, the Delch, Pennsylvania area. And so that was a really great experience. Um, I've taken her to, we were doing a segment on Egyptian history. So there was a mummy um, exhibit at the Natural History uh, Museum. We've done a walking tour through D.C. Um, to learn about um, Frederick Douglass. So we've done, I'm a big proponent of doing activities outside, interacting with other people, interacting with resources. Um, and so I think that has been, I've created, at the end of each year, I do a, a yearbook you know, it just kind of chronicles like all the different field trips, all the activities. And I was just so shocked at how much material we have for this yearbook at the end of each year for all the activities and places that we go. That is such a cool idea. I've never done a yearbook. <laughs> and, and, you know, it only came to me because um, I have, so I do this other thing. So I came up with this when she was like really little. But there's a Dr. Seuss book. It's like all the places you will go. Yes. And every year I have people filling in. She doesn't know it. But one, one day at the end, before she goes out to college, I plan on giving her this book. And it's filled with all the people that she's met over her life. And they fill it in. And so I was talking to someone about filling it in. And they were like, oh, do you have pictures too? And I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> so, okay, but with like, well, why don't, you know, she's not in school technically, but I can create a yearbook. I can go on, you know, one of these websites and, um, you know, create a yearbook myself. So that's what I did. <laughs> I love that. Which website do you use for that? Um, I think it's Shutterfly. Okay. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's a really, really good one. Wow, that's so cool. I love that. DC has, well, Virginia, DC, Maryland, all of it, right? <laughs> it has it has so much rich history. Um, I haven't been to DC in a couple of years, but I love it. I used to go to DC all the time and uh, Baltimore, the Baltimore area and Alexandria area. So I feel that there is so much there that parents probably might overlook sometimes and or might not think about where are some places where you feel like they are just like hidden gems because I know a lot of people love like the Smithsonian and the African-American uh, museum that's there and you know of course the monuments and all those things but where are some like hidden gems you think where it's like a must or someone should go there you know it's not as popular but they should go they should visit and they'll learn a lot there. So I, I once jumped at the top of my head and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is the full name of this organization? 
So, so I'm going <laughs> to describe it, and then hopefully it comes to the top of my tongue. But in Old Town, Alexandria, so we've done two things with this organization. So there is an art museum on the waterfront in Alexandria, um, and they have an archaeology exhibit section inside of this art um, art building. And so we did a homeschool field trip there where they talked about the history of Alexandria and literally how it was created based on the erosion of the water and how like the water eroded some of the area. They talked about how they determined where people lived based on their trash um, findings that they had. I mean, it was amazing. That's interesting. Yeah, like it was so amazing. Um, I'd have to get you names. It's still not coming to me. But they also have an, um, I want to say it's like the Art League or the League of Arts. And it's in Old Town, Alexandria. And so they also have a segment for children who are really into art. And so if you want to do sculptures, um, if you want to do painting, um, anime, um, moving animation. So this the art league of Alexandria has like two components to it. So there's the the history of Alexandria that they can teach you about from an archaeology standpoint, and they also literally have art um, and art classes that your children can take. So that's like a high like on my list of this is a good gym one um, <laughs> if you're looking for something different to do. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. I'm just thinking about my son. I'm like, he's interested in stop motion right now. Like, hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, he he just saw like a YouTube uh, YouTuber and uh, they had a little bit of it. He's like, Mom, I want to do stop motion. I was like, okay, where did this come from? But okay. And he literally has been learning it the past couple of weeks and just made his first stop motion video for his own YouTube channel. So Nice. Yeah, just going with it. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about. I'm just watching. <laughs> and you know what's um, another good tip that just gets kids engaged if they're into art and that kind of thing. So we're subscribed to, um, uh, it was just on the tip of my tongue, like Children's National Geographic. Yes. Um, there's another kid. There's a couple of kid-oriented magazines. Well, they take subscription, they take submissions of children's artwork and post them in the next, um, like, what is it, the next one that they give out each month or whatever. And so, and they have different themes and they take all different age ranges. And so, um, my daughter does that too. She'll submit her artwork depending on what the theme is, if she likes the theme. Um, And so, she does that. So... You know, that could be something, too. They're really into art. Awesome. What kind of art does she enjoy? So right now, she's really been taking... So we are a a huge subscriber of OutSchool because it's very supplemental for people. If you're not aware of OutSchool, it's a website that has hundreds of different classes of all different kinds, and you take Mm -hmm. it on your own time whatever it is you want to do and so she's been taking anime um drawing classes so she's really into one of the foreign languages she's taking is japanese so 
she's been really into this world right now. Um, and so that's her thing. But she's she's been doing different types of art, even fashion design. So I think right now she's kind of in this exploratory stage of all types of art. Mm-hmm. So we're just kind of continuing to let her flow with it to see where it leads her and takes her. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. I think that's the best part about homeschooling is when you're able to just kind of sit back and watch your child take the lead on their own learning journey. That's awesome. It's so amazing. Do you guys see yourself homeschooling like all the way through to like college or what do you think your future plans would be? Yes. So that's the goal. Um, You know, we have looked into in the high school time frame, perhaps doing a couple classes at Northern Virginia Community College. They have a high school program that they let homeschoolers participate in to take additional classes. There are some, surprisingly, some private schools in the Northern Virginia area that have hybrid programs that if you choose to be a homeschooler, if you want to take a class or two at their high school, which um, we're, we're just flushing that out. I, you know, fortunately enough, have been honored to be around so many other homeschool families and programming that I don't think she'd be missing anything. There's homeschool dances and winter formals and proms and, you know, so there's a lot of things that I feel like the homeschool space provides. Um, So you don't necessarily need to be in a traditional high school, but, you know, if there's a class or something that they're offering that maybe she's interested in, I think it's nice to have that flexibility to not be held bound to a high school, but you can kind of come in and out as you want. So so we're still thinking about how we see it, but we definitely see it at homeschool. Like, however we do it, it's going to be like our way. <laughs> so. Yes. Are you enjoying the podcast? Remember to subscribe to Friends of Cabrini on Spotify. Now back to the episode. So, you know, as African-Americans, right, a lot of people have recently started to homeschool that are African-Americans. And it's, it's been a huge search because of or I don't want to say because of, but due to the pandemic, we can say it like that. Now, there are and has been a number of homeschoolers prior to that point, of course. Um, what are your thoughts about, like, how things might possibly change, like, as, as it relates to the increase of new, new homeschoolers coming to the space? And maybe they might change a few of the laws, you know, going ahead since there has been a huge uh, decline that they've seen across the country in public schools. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I'm hoping not. I I love the freedom of of, of educating my child. Um, we decided when we decided to homeschool, it was actually coincidental when it all happened with the pandemic. Unfortunately, we were just having a very rough time with her public school second grade teacher. We did not feel like we were getting the support. Unfortunately, we think some other elements of 
being an African-American family was at play. And we had considered private school. And that didn't give us the warm and fuzzy feeling that I feel like we needed um, for what she needed. And so literally in February, January, we were like, you know what? Let's just decide to homeschool. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was actually kind of like all happening around the same time. And so I think it is a great opportunity to offer people the freedom to say, you know what? My school isn't working for me. Um, this process, this program is not working for me. And let me find another way. And that's one of the great things about homeschooling is the freedom. It does not have to look like anybody else's way. It is, it's totally up to you. And I think that's important in a country where we say, you know, make your own way. Be competitive. Go out. You know, be entrepreneur. So if you can go out and do all these other things, why can't you go out and pave your own way in education? I think that's important. I agree with you, especially for people that are concerned about like the tax dollars and things you, you pay, you know, your taxes to support the public schools and then you don't get what you think, right? The children should be getting. So you should be able to use your tax dollars to go forward towards something else, right? An alternative learning route um, that fits your family. I think that's perfectly well said. Homeschooling is about freedom and it is about, you know, um, quality representation, right? Not just quality representation, but accurate. I would say almost accurate representation too, right? Because there's a lot of things that have been taught to children at public schools that we're now we're finding out and learning about that are not true and <laughs> things of that nature. And so it's like we have to re we have to reteach the children and then we have to reteach ourselves too. So <laughs> and for the people who are concerned about, you know, we, I feel like at least the way I homeschool, and I obviously can't speak for every homeschool family, but we reinvest those dollars into a multitude of ways. We, instead of traditional gym, we, we do figure skating and we do track and we invest our dollars in singing lessons and we go out and we, we patron these different places like the archaeology location and the different, you know, museums and field trips. And so like we are still out here distributing our funds into communities and to places that, like you said, like these diamond in the rough places that honestly, during downtimes during the day when everybody is at school, these homeschool programs and people are going out spending their money participating in different areas so we're exactly. supporting our communities with with our homeschool lives so absolutely i think it's also from a financial perspective a real benefit for those communities i agree the other thing i love that you mentioned is how families are doing these things when others are working when when the other children are at public school and I know a lot of times people say like, what about their socialization? You know, how can how can your child learn and thrive in homeschool if they're not socializing with other children? And it's like, they can still go to places. As you just mentioned, there's things in the community that they can still do and take advantage of when other kids are being in a, in a brick and mortar for six, seven hours out of the day. You know, um, 
So I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that and recommend looking into your community, right? Because there's a lot of things that we overlook. I remember when my son was, I want to say he was five. Um, I remember he was five. And over that summer, we had found out that Panera Bread, uh, you know, offered a program for little ones where they teach them how to bake bread and how to make cookies. And they let them go behind the restaurant, behind their cash registers, and they see the whole process and all of those things. And I think it's called the Little Bakers Program, if I'm correct. Wow, I'm not sure they yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'm not sure if they still had it, but I know pre-pandemic they had this and we did it and my son loved it. And I was like, oh, I need to do this again with more babies, like more little babies. <laughs> Cause I, I just wanted so many kids to have that experience that is unheard of, right? And people never, you never know if you don't ask, like literally just go and ask the, the store owner, whoever. So I've, I've learned that too, to just really um, make the most of the experience for us. You know, it is about the freedom and it is about the uh, cultural, you know, representation as well. But I've, I've always been really big about just making memories with my son. And so I try to look at everything as an opportunity for him, not just to learn, but it's a memory. It's something that I want him to remember when he gets to be 30, 40, you know, when he has his own children, when he looks back on life and I'm, I'm, I've passed on, like, I want him to say, like, we had a great time, you know, his, his childhood was great and it was amazing. So I definitely agree with you on all of those points that you made. <laughs> and for people who don't think there are a lot of us out here, I just want people to know, we are out here in droves, okay? Like, we literally went to an Autobahn um, field trip for homeschoolers to learn about physics. And when I say they were over, it was in the middle of the day from like 11 to 1 or something like that. There was over 50 kids there. Like, there are so many homeschoolers. I'm also a part of a group called Homeschool Travelers. Mm -hmm. And this program, they we travel all over the country and over the world. Full of kids who just go together and do different experiences at different locations and places all over the country and all over the world. Like, it is a lot of us. So although, you know, for some people it seems like an anomaly or very foreign, and like you said, how can your child socialize? Oh, there is a lot of us to socialize with. <laughs> <laughs> very true. I love the aspect of homeschooling and, and traveling as well. Um, we consider ourselves to be a little bit of something of everything. We, we're unschoolers, but we do a lot of like virtual hybrid learning and we're road schooling as well. We have a trip scheduled um, at the end of this month. We're going to Louisville and we're going to do all the things in Louisville. We've been dying to go there um, ever since like <laughs> just the whole everything, I would say. Um, we've been dying to go there, though. I think we first thought about it after Muhammad Ali passed. And so I would say since that point. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to go there. We're going to look at the, the museums they have. We're going to the Slugger Museum. Uh, we're going to do some touring, some hiking, a bunch of different things. And I definitely recommend families like, like you said, traveling, going to a new city. 
discovering something new. Um, I found out that there's like a 4-H classes that they have there at their libraries and it's open to homeschoolers. So we're going to check that out. (laughs) Not even from Louisville, but we're just going to join in. Um, So, you know, it's, it's just about, like you said, it's about the opportunity to just go and grow and be free. And I think one of the best things that people need to know about homeschooling is community. And that's something I tried to do with our virtual space with bringing families together from all walks of life and, and whatnot. And like I said, just giving experiences. Um, how important to you guys has it been for you to have a community that supports you, uh, that loves on you and your daughter and, and your husband, and that just kind of celebrates what you're doing, but then they also help, right? They also participate because sometimes as homeschoolers, we might feel like we are a little overwhelmed and you might have to kind of outsource, right? And have someone else teach or lead a certain subject. So how important is community to your family? Oh, it's super important to me. I also work full time. And so for me, um, it can be a lot. And so having other people to support us, for her to connect with. Um, Today, she was a part of a virtual book club. They're reading um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And like just that time where she connects with someone else, and it kind of gives me some space and time to myself for a little bit. Um, You know, it has been very beneficial. You know, she's going to a homeschool Valentine's Day party this week. Um, it's just really a nice a nice way to have a group of community. Um, it was a game changer for us because, like I said, we started homeschooling at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we were very isolated. It was just us in this house, like everybody else, trying <laughs> to make it work. And once things opened up and we started being able to meet people at the playground and you know, having weekly play dates and stuff like that. It just, it really opened things up for us and it made homeschooling a lot better. At the beginning, I she used to actually ask about going back to school. And I can understand why, because we're all stuck in this house. Um, but ever since things have opened back up and she has a whole plate full of social life and things going on in her homeschool space, I still check in with her to be like, are you still good with, you know, homeschooling? And she'll be like, yes, I'm good. I'm like, sure, you know, I know some of your friends are going off to middle school soon. Do you want to go? She's like, no, I'm okay. Okay, (laughs) well, we're going to keep rocking. And so I think that's all attributed to this community that we built. Hey friends, so did you enjoy today's show? I know I sure did. Go ahead right now and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. And make sure you tell a friend.